We're back for another episode of Mentors for Military. I'm sitting at Fort Benning at the Warrior Training Center, and uh, this is probably one of the Army's best-kept secrets. I keep saying that because when I came here a couple months ago and got a chance to tour the facility and see what it is that you guys actually do, it was really cool, and um, I didn't realize all that was back here because as you're driving by, all you see is a fence. Brown fence. You know, and, and I guess it's by design. Uh, you've got like a motor pole area up front for the most part, and so when you drive by, it's this mysterious thing. Ah, it's just probably another motor pole, no big deal. As you go down maybe a little bit further, you'll see a tower perhaps, you know, mm -hmm. off in the distance. Yeah. And, uh, but it was one of these things when, when Don, you know, a buddy of mine who's been on this podcast often as a co-host, Don Fox, took me back here and really started walking me around and showing me the, the stuff that you guys do here. It was fascinating. And knowing that you guys are doing so well that you're looking at expanding the facilities means that the Army is taking notice and seeing the benefit of what you guys are doing here. So kudos to you guys. Um, what I want to do before, you know, I get, we get into all about Warrior Training Center and especially uh, the pre-ranger that you guys uh, lead here uh, for this episode, I want to give the audience a chance to hear your voice, know who you are, all that kind of good stuff. So let's kind of maybe start and, and then um, once we do that, we'll move into the topic. All right. Robert Floor, starting first class, currently instructor that I went and now I'm the operations NCO for RTAC, the Ranger Training Assessment Course. Been here approximately two years, originally from the Pennsylvania National Guard. Um, I got the opportunity once I graduated Ranger School, they offered to let you employ here, apply. Um, and like you said, it's a best kept secret. Not a lot of people knew about it. I didn't know about it before I came down here. Because um, for the National Guard, you have to come through this course to go to Ranger School. Um, so when they told me, hey, you're going to RTAC, I didn't even know what it was at first <laughs> or what the Warrior Training Center was. Right. Um, but now here I am. Well, it's cool that you're kind of an alumni from the very program that you're, you know, you're now instructing. That's a really. So are you guys Title 10 or Title 32? How do they end up doing you guys when you come in? So we're Title 10 ADOS. Okay. So for those who are trying to figure out what I just said, basically there is just two different types of ways to come on active duty status. Title 32 is usually a state. Title 10 is federal. And so it's, you know, you're getting full retirement type of benefits, uh, 365 while you're here, which is very important, you know, for you in retirement. Yeah, it's very important, Robert, for especially for National Guard soldiers that want to get that full-time experience. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's awesome that they offer you this type of opportunity. <clears throat> now, are you by MOS? Or are you 11? I'm 11, bravo. Okay, 11. Um, are all the instructors 11 series? Yes, they are. All of them so, are 11, bro. Um, we do have uh, one guy right now who also is 68 Whiskey, but he also has the 11 Bravo series as well. So. Okay. All right. Is that a requirement, just out of curiosity, for to be an instructor of the I Ranger Corps? I don't think so, no. Um, they, there are other MOSs, but uh, primarily it's typically both here and over at 4th, uh, 5th, and 6th. I believe it's typically always 11 series guys that are okay. their instructors. Yeah. Good to know. All right. So... Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm a Sergeant Jan Wolfisberg. Um, typically, people kind of call me Wolf. That's my uh, the quick, easy way of saying Wolfisberg. It's a little complicated. <laughs> um, I'm from the uh, Washington National Guard originally. Um, I did some time with the Mississippi National Guard. Uh, after I was in the Mississippi National Guard, I heard about the Warrior Training Center and the uh, opportunity to come down here as a RTAC instructor as well. So came down here about two years ago, uh, pretty much exactly two years ago now, and uh, been here ever since. Um, 
it's been a great career step. So being able to go to multiple schools, training opportunities, and then of course, just the uh, ability to get in front of students and be confident teaching classes in front of you know 100 plus people. That was something that I always had trouble even in college with that public speaking piece. But then coming here and you're kind of just thrown into it, throwing right. wolves. You're like, all right, here you go. You're, <laughs> you're teaching, you're teaching FUM to uh, 120 students. You know, better be ready. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Yeah. So do you guys last, have to go to like a pre-instructor pre course or something like that training or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like you're just, all right, here's the POI, go out here and, and lead no, this. Okay. Luckily they, they do give us a little bit of training. So we, we go over to um, uh, RITEP which is uh, run by 4th RTB. Okay. Um, we certify through them. That's a process that takes about two to three months, typically. You do all of the classes, all the 20 boards that are taught in Ranger School. And then you also then shadow all of the major events over at Ranger School, as well as then walking patrols with certified RIs over there. Mm. So you have the whole understanding of what uh, goes on over at 4th before you then become a certified instructor here at RTAC. Nice. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were... Yeah, I mean that's that's really the uh, the summation of it. I mean that's that's how we uh, go about becoming instructors. So um, that is one of the great things about RTAC is that we are some one of the few pre rangers that actually has instructors certify through RITEP. Um, so that kind of puts us you know a step ahead of some of the other pre rangers in a sense that we have that that inside knowledge uh, to what exactly Fourth is doing and how their instructors are getting certified. So we have all of those. Uh, those certifications already prior to becoming RTAC instructors. What I like about it is that you've just built a network and you built kind of a bond with, I, I would think with those individuals because you, you kind of walked a mile in their shoes. You know, you not only went through there as a student and everything, but now you took the time as a program to actually sit down with those instructors and go through what they go through as RIs and, and seeing it and <clears throat> being certified by them means that they're, I would think gonna probably trust what type of training that you're gonna be doing. They know that you're leading based on, you know, what they shared with you and 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 that cross pollination is really important. Mm -hmm. That gets into even with our senior tech and then me being the operations NCO. Anytime there's an update with fourth RTB, anything that comes out, we immediately implement it into our tech. Nice. So that's what helps our students out a lot. So if anything changes with their operations orders. Uh, physical training changes, any changes that come out, we immediately implement them into our pre-ranger course when maybe some other pre-rangers won't get that information or won't implement it for a while because we have that, like you said, that cross-pollination, that direct yep. contact mm -hmm. with them. And you're not that far down the road from them. No, no. I mean, we're three miles up the road from yeah. those guys. And and then uh, going through ITEP with uh, quite a few of those guys, it's as easy as me shooting a text over to them and saying, "Hey, you know, we, nice. I heard there's some kind of update with the CWSA, the the, the fit or the water test, right? Like, mm -hmm. what's going on over there? Or hey, I heard there's a, a packing list update. I could just, you know, shoot a call or shoot a text or give them a call and and uh, get that update real quick. So it keeps us very very up to date with those changes that are typically happening relatively frequently over at fourth. So we're well, I, I think having that relationship too, though, it'd be really good that, you know, Hey, I'm seeing this type of thing coming, you know, right now the students uh, were struggling in this area, you know, coming from you guys, or they're, they're just struggling in general. Right. You know, right. Yeah. can you guys shore this up and, and, you know, this is a gap and an opportunity for us to maybe improve upon that. Absolutely. Know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They always give us that information. Um, just numbers from like rap week itself, 
what everybody's failing at. Um, they always in, they always get together and give out that information. This is where we need to work on, and then that's when we'll emphasize on that during our pre-ranger. But like, hey, this is what's mostly getting people right now. So let's work on that, and then we go through that with the students. What was the acronym that you just used, though? How do you? What's our rap? Uh, rap week. Oh, rap week. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that's the first. That's yeah, like the first four, week with all the major events. Yeah. 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 CWSA. What, what does rap stand for? Ranger <laughs> assessment. I think it's Ranger assessment phase. Yeah. yeah. So that's Ranger just the first phase. four or five days of Ranger school. That's that's really all just an individual event at that point, right? It's just it's just assessing the individual um, on Ruck March, the CWSA, which is the Combat Water Survival Assessment, mm. um, assessing them on the uh, RPFT, which is the uh, Ranger PT test, um, RTTs, which is uh, weapons ranger training tasks, uh, weapons and radios, claymore, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's the first four days um, that's really just assessing the individual. And then after they pass that, that's when they then move into the official Darby phase and go out and start doing Darby squad size patrols, moving on to mountains with the platoon size patrols, and then down to Florida eventually if they uh, are able to make it that far. Um, and then going on to uh, graduate, hopefully. So... Are, are the, is the idea that, um, and we may get into this a lot deeper, but it's just curiosity based on what you just said, is the idea to get them to ready to pass that phase because the, the succession, or I'm sorry, the success rate of individuals who at least make that first phase mm -hmm. is higher. Um, so therefore, if you can get them to that point, you know, then, then you know, you're, they're good. Oh uh, yeah, Robert. So right now, uh, the numbers are showing that if you pass that rap week in that first phase, you have about an 85% chance of passing Ranger school as a whole. Okay. So that's why we really focus on that first week. Cause that's where the majority of the numbers are going to come from people failing. So we focus on that first week and then that squad size element to get them through that first phase. And then they have that high chance of graduating Ranger school. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our tech really just focuses what I think it just focuses on, on getting guys in the mindset for ranger school, right? Because well, a lot of the guys that we have, whether they're from either the uh, regular army or the National Guard, especially National Guardsmen, may not be in the right mindset for ranger school. Maybe they're coming off the street, uh, drilling as a M-Day Guardsman a couple days a month, or maybe they just came from their unit where they were a, a PT stud. And we kind of have to get them into that mindset to be uh, prepared to go through you know, the rigors and, and uh, whatnot of ranger school. So we get them into that mindset and then we're and then we're weeding out the guys that are just not clearly not going to make it through rap week, um, hmm. and then we really focus on the last few days. Then of, of our tack is focusing on getting them ready for those squad patrols in Darby. How does that? I mean, I know that you have active duty personnel that come through here. So how is it that you guys map that in to where, you know, in other words, you've got people who may be coming off active duty that's been training and preparing themselves who do this maybe all the time because they're you know, 11 series in a conventional force versus somebody who comes from the National Guard and walks in the door that is, thinks they're prepared, but to your point may not be because they're going from zero to 90 really quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you guys maintain that balance, you know, in, in assessing that quickly to be able to make sure you're not having the weak elements, you know, dragging the, those who are better prepared if there is such a thing, and maybe there's not, maybe they're all coming in the door somewhat equal in that sense. Well, I think everybody who comes here 
that's from the Pennsylvania or like from like Pennsylvania National Guard. Like we hand select people. We have like a tryout. So I think like a lot of the states, um, they know who they're sending. They know so they, they have they want, a pre-pre. Maybe they have like a pre-pre yeah. or they have, uh, they take the guys that like really want to do this. They have the high PT score. They, they tested them. Because um, to come to RTAC, you're supposed to have a memo signed by your commander that says you met these requirements to come here. Gotcha. Okay. So they should at least have those basic requirements, and then they should have that ability to want to do it. Um, but when they get here, like I said, we have people from um, soft. We have people from active duty. We get people um, from just the National Guard as a whole. And then we just kind of put them all together, mix it up. So you won't have just like all active duty guys in one squad, all National Guard guys in one squad. It's going to be all mixed up. So people are going to be stronger in other places than other people, and then people are going to be weak in other places, and then that's when they'll kind of like work together like you're supposed to at ranger school right. and come together and, and graduate. Do you guys have peer reviews in here? Yeah, peer reviews are oh, at yeah. the end of, end of the course, so that they'll, they'll nice. do peer evals. That was a, a big emotional event for some guys. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Realizing they, at the very end of the FTX that maybe they weren't the uh, the best dude. Yeah. Hey, how how do you think you did? <laughs> oh, I think I did pretty well. Uh, sorry, you got peered by squad. <laughs> <laughs> no, one, no one really likes you, bud. <laughs> uh, so do you guys do it where you, you have to select the top guy who you would definitely want to go to combat with and then the guy that you would never want to go to combat yeah, with? Yeah, so on there, it just yeah. has it like, uh, depends on how many people you have in your squad. So we'll say like 13. So I'll have on there, you rank 1 through 12 on the guys and then you have to go through and talk about each guy um, so like they're, how are they physically, mentally, tactically, would you deploy with this guy? Would you share a foxhole with this guy? And then you kind of like, and then at the end, there's kind of, um, any information that you would give him to help him succeed. Like, cause we don't, we're not going to, we just uh, go over the peer evals with them at the end and let them know how they did. And we're like, Hey, this is what this guy said about you. And this is what he said that you should change. So you'd be uh, prepared at ranger school. Because here in RTAC, the uh, the peers are not a pass fail event necessarily. Right. Um, okay. Whereas in Ranger School, Absolutely. if you peer low, you know, sucks to be you. You know, you're, you're doing that, <laughs> yeah. you're doing that phase again. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> your buddies didn't like you much. But here, it's more of just uh, like, hey, man, like you really need to focus on you know your your teamwork or your leadership style. And then so it's at least an opportunity for guys to come here and see where they're lacking, and then go forward and change it. Hopefully, by the time they get to Ranger School. That's what I a lot of times tell guys, you know, our patrols, the uh, FTX phase of our TAC, which is the last uh, four or five days, is also not pass-fail. We're, you know, we're, we're grading them, and we tell them how they did at the end of the evening, but we're not failing guys and telling them they're recycling our TAC or anything. It's just a, an assessment still. Um, and that's what I usually tell guys is that, you know, this is your opportunity to come here to our tack and completely screw up your squad ambush and compromise, compromise your recon team. You know, that's how you're going to learn here where it's not, you know, the end of the world. And then hopefully you go to a ranger school and uh, I would hope that you're not going to make those exact same mistakes again. Yeah. But, you know, some guys do, but <laughs> yeah, they ideally, learn. ideally they you're going to learn here in our tack humility is very difficult for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not, I'd love to say that I'm a very humble guy, but there are times where my family reminds me that I'm probably not as much as I think I am. So when you're at, like you said, get to that point where, Hey, you thought you were all that and, you know, and then some, and then you're told, <laughs> no, actually, you know, you thought you were, but everybody else saw you in a very different light. Um, you've got to have that mental wherewithal at the end of that to realize, all right, what this means is I've got to, I've got to fix this and correct it before I go on to the next uh, phase. Because a lot of these guys that 
you're graduating with in this program are going to be going with you day mm -hmm. one into ranger school. Mm -hmm. So if they already have that mindset and they don't see you making an effort to change, well, then it may happen again. Yeah, they already know what they think about you. Yeah. And if you're not changing it, then. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I want to go back Wolf, uh, to something you had said earlier about that you were in. You started off in Washington, then you went to Mississippi. Was that just mm -hmm. because you made a a move on the career field side, um, civilian wise, or is that because you chose to go into an occupation within the Mississippi Guard that was very different from Washington? No. So this was actually in um, this was the beginning of 2018, I believe. Yeah, it was beginning of 2018, um, and at the time I had finished uh, doing the best ranger competition. Uh, here on Fort Benning. I've been training up and doing that here on at the Warrior Training Center as well. Um, I finished up that opportunity. And then from there, I was wanting, I was looking to uh, get on a deployment with a, a unit. Um, and the nice thing about the National Guard is that you don't have to just wait necessarily for your state or your brigade to deploy. You can also then volunteer for uh, other states' deployments. Nice. So, I knew that was like the 20th and stuff, you know, mm -hmm, but yep, I didn't realize yep. that for all National Guard. Yeah, yeah, so it's actually kind of amazing. You have some National Guard guys who have, you know, done seven, eight deployments over the last 20 years of the GWAP because they've just been hopping from deployment to uh, deployment. To, uh, deployment. So, but so at the time, yeah, I was uh, looking for a deployment to go on and uh, the Mississippi National Guard, uh, the 155th uh, Armored Brigade Combat Team was deploying and um, I was told they were going to Syria. And I was like, well, you know, I'm all about that. Let's go do that. And then, uh, unfortunately, uh, never ended up going to Syria. <laughs> things, things changed. Things changed and uh, spent uh, a lot longer than I wanted to sitting in a tent in Kuwait. Mm -hmm. um, got the opportunity to go to Egypt for a couple months and Iraq for a little bit. And so it was, it was still a good deployment, but that's uh, really why I went uh, to Mississippi. So yeah, uh, deployed with them and then when I came back from that deployment is when I came on orders here then as a uh, pre-ranger instructor. But you had volunteered to come to do this, right? It's, yes. So yeah. d does the guard ever come out and, and identify high potential people within, you know, NGB or, you know, within the, the whole, I say NGB, the, the, not necessarily the bureau, but the whole national guard, do they look at high potential people as opportunities for instructor and approach them about those? Have you ever heard of that happening or is so it? So I know like when you, graduate uh, ranger school, at least from RTAC, we go over there and whoever's in the National Guard, we offer them, hey. Right then. Right then, hey, you guys wanna come over here? You guys can come back and start working here. Um, I know a lot of people that are uh, ranger qualified will get emails sent out to them, getting uh, the job offered to them if they wanna come down. Um, just get on some active orders. I mean, they're already on active orders to come yeah. to the training. So, hey, do you wanna just go ahead and extend that and, and make it a, a real-time job mm -hmm. for a period of time? Mm -hmm. I would say, though, one of the great things about RTAC is that all of the guys that are here are all volunteers. So there are no uh, instructors here at RTAC that are told by the Army, hey, you're going to RTAC and you're being an instructor, you know, and then you're like, oh, well, you know, I wanted to stay at the line and I don't really feel like being an instructor. I don't really want to do that. Right. Everybody here is a volunteer. So that does give us an edge in the sense that, you know, since we are all volunteers, we do take pride in our work and, and make sure that we're uh, putting in the best that we can every single day. Um, so that definitely is something that uh, RTAC has an advantage in. It's just the, the all volunteer. And, you know, hypothetically at any time, if you decide that you want to go back to your state for an AGR job or you want to go back to just drilling as an M-Day soldier uh, once a month, at any time you can cut your orders and you can go home. Well, so. is this is this a duty assignment for a set number of years, like a two-year or three-year assignment? One year. Yeah, it's, it's one year at a time. One year. 
So oh. one year at a time, and then at a time. Exactly. So you can you can extend it and extend go ahead. up mm-hmm. to three years, yep. up to three. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but no more than that. There are uh, case by case uh, yeah. situations where you can put in a request to continue your time here, but typically the uh, I think NGB kind of likes to have guys move on either back to their states or go on a deployment or whatever the case may be. So I think that's also good that people don't get stagnant and you know yeah then you're an RTAC instructor for you know, six, seven years, and then you kind of just get stagnant and you're not really uh, rotating back to the force or anything, so. Yeah, because then you can bring your knowledge and experience back to your M-Day unit or your brigade. That's the idea. Back to your Mm -hmm. National Guard unit. Yeah. Well, I I think, you know, listening to that, I think uh, what maybe people aren't aware of, too, is that within the National Guard, and for that matter, even within the um, the reserve, you mentioned AGR, which is Active Guard Reserve Program. It's the U.S. Title Code 10 um, that the, the Guard and Reserve is able to utilize. When when the Guard comes on active duty, they have a choice. When the Reserves come on active duty, it's automatically Title 10 because they're federal. Mm-hmm. But um, there, there are opportunities within the military where you can stay and remain AGR for 20 years. And so you could leave RTEC, go somewhere as to a different assignment. Maybe it's to NGB up in the, you know, the, um, the circle up there. Yeah. And the Pentagon and stuff. And then maybe it's back here. Now you're in a more senior role in an op sergeant. And then, uh, then they assign you to a specific state and they want you to be a, you know, they want you to go back uh, to your individual state to be a, a, some role. Maybe you're a first sergeant or something or a master sergeant in operations there in an S3. And then you're, bounce back the NGB because you're a sergeant major. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like right, right. those opportunities exist that I don't know that very many people who listen to these types of programs are familiar with. Because yeah. unless you know somebody yeah. intimately like that, then... Yeah, we actually had uh, a bunch of our guys just put in packets to go AGR and they all got uh, approved. So we have like a lot of the guys that work with us are mixed between that Title 10 ADOS and the AGR. And then, like you said, like a lot of people I've talked to when I go to schools or active duty and they're like that's a thing like i didn't even know well especially guys coming off active duty because a lot of guys coming off active duty may not hear about these types of programs and i used to be an in-service recruiter so my job was to place people into the garden reserve and so they they didn't hear about these stories until somebody you know they had to go through the out processing Mm -hmm. and um then they would be told, hey, listen, you can go back to a Guard or Reserve unit, but there's also an opportunity for you to go active duty, perhaps, you know, if you go and present to the unit, that's something you right. want to do. Yeah. The fact you guys are looking for those guys right out of, you know, the the school, you know, and everything right out of Ranger School, you may be already setting them on an AGR uh, program. Mm-hmm. And I right, know that right. there are guys here um, who are in leadership positions who, you know, were over at Regiment you know, 75th Ranger Regiment mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And and now they heard about these types of uh, programs and came over here on active duty and AGR status. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's it's something I just wanted to highlight uh, for yeah. individuals who are thinking about, hey, I'm sitting right now in a guard role and I didn't know that this exists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd love to do something like this or uh, people who are on active duty or are looking for maybe what they're, they, they're not happy and satisfied with active service but they still are not ready to necessarily end their their career. Um, so it gives mm-hmm. you, like you guys are talking about, that flexibility, the BM day, you know, go uh, one week in a month and do that type of lifestyle or do it on active duty. So I'm not trying to do a pitch, you know, in a recruiting thing, right, but right. I think this is a real clear, it helps tell, tell the story because where I'm getting ready to take this is you've got individuals, as I understand it, who may go through OSIT, you know, one station unit training, basic training and stuff, you know, maybe even here at Fort Benning. Let's just use that as an example as in 11 series. So they go and join the National Guard. 
and they go into an 11 series. They come here for one station unit training. They leave there. They go to airborne school immediately thereafter. They leave that. They come over here, go to pre-ranger. Leave pre-ranger, go to ranger course. You know, they go mm-hmm. back to their unit, PFC, airborne, ranger yep. tab. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, that's crazy to me. Yeah, it really is a, an awesome opportunity for those guys. We call it the RTLI program, or Ranger Team Leader Initiative. And it is really cool that guys are able to, at you know, 18 or 19 years old, joining the National Guard for whatever their personal motivations may be. And suddenly they're presented with this opportunity because they're, you know, a high PT score guy at their uh, basic training company or uh, drill sergeants identify them as, you know, a great shot and very competent individual. And then those guys are then identified by our cadre here uh, at RTLI. And then they bring them over, train them up for two to three weeks or maybe a month, depending on our cycles. Um, and then they come through our tech. And it is difficult sometimes with those guys with their, their lack of experience and knowledge of how the Army operates. Um, it is definitely difficult for them when they're thrown into those leadership roles as a team leader or a squad leader uh, on an ambush or something like that. So it's tough for those guys, but I mean, I'm absolutely positive that those guys going back to their guard units showing up with the Ranger tab is then automatically increasing the uh, lethality and uh, overall competency of, of their uh, company. So, so one of the things obviously that, um, you know, Ranger school is supposed to be is a small unit tactics, mm-hmm. um, you know, leadership course. And I know that people, some people get upset when they hear leadership, you know, cause it's mm-hmm. not really a leadership school, but when you break it down, like you just mentioned, it's a true leadership opportunity in a course that puts you in the most strenuous situations so that you, you, the idea is that, um, you will be a better leader and a better performer that's out there. And somebody that's that young, I can see them really pushing their NCOs when they go back to their units because they're they're pretty sharp. They've made it through some of the toughest challenges, and they want to to be challenged more. You know, mm-hmm. they want that mm-hmm. constant you know challenge coming at them and everything. And I, I mean, I'm one of these pr- uh, people that firmly believe that we should put more people within the army, especially uh, in that are in leadership positions through Ranger School. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. it, regardless of sex, MOS, and everything else, the opportunity is there. Um, we should do that because then it makes us all better. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's, can you lead soldiers? Yes. But at the end of the day, a ranger school, can you lead soldiers after they haven't slept in X amount of days, haven't eaten? And you. Yeah. You <laughs> haven't eaten. You haven't <laughs> slept. Can you still operate and get your whole team or platoon, if you're a PL at that time, operate and complete the mission? So at that's a high what, level. At yeah. that high level. So that's what makes it yeah. that premier leadership school is being able to operate at that high level on no sleep and no food. Yeah. So let's talk about then, all right, what is the breakdown? I mentioned about active duty and guard, and you even mentioned other branches. I mean, you could come from any other branch that comes mm-hmm. through in WTC, you know, uh, Warrior Training Center and going and to the program. Yeah, other countries. Other, really? Yeah, okay, we, I didn't we know get that. foreign soldiers. All the foreign soldiers that go through Ranger School have to come through RTEC. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so we've got, you know, guys from Slovakia, Colombia, Colombia Thailand, uh, so we've got ones recently, Mongolia. Mongolia, we just yeah. A couple guys from Mongolia. Last what about cycle. the language, uh, Barry? You guys have people who are linguists here? So that... I think a lot of the times the guys that they I'm select. I'm fluent in a lot of languages. No, I'm, <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. I think a lot of the guys that they uh, select to come through here have English as their second la- language. may not be like completely fluent, sure. but they understand. Um, 
Yeah, because we don't have like linguists or anything like that. But a lot of times they understand. Maybe they just have a hard time communicating, but they understand. Yeah. So what is the breakdown of that? If you had, if I had to put you on the spot, it may vary, but what is typically your breakdown of your typical class that comes through in terms of maybe international versus active duty versus guard, you know, type of breakout? I would say majority is going to be guard. It's going to be guard on the higher end, but then we'll maybe have what, like a hand few, maybe three to five uh, people from international Mm -hmm. and then active duty will make up like a lot of the, the rest. And it yeah. could be active army as well as other branches too, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, so. we get we get air, uh, air force. We actually had a guy from the space force. Really, a couple you, cl- first yeah. space force. What is ranger space <laughs> force? Yeah. Yeah. What? I, don't, I don't know. We <laughs> had him a couple couple classes ago. How is that possible? Yeah. Fade Mars here. Hey, we're gonna have rangers in the, on the moon. That's awesome. Yeah. Space Mars. ranger. So I, yeah, I would say uh, <laughs> I'd say out of a class of uh, let's just go with like 120. There's typically gonna be like a. Floor said the majority coming from the National Guard and then probably another 40 coming from active duty and then that five or so yeah, coming five from or so international. international. Um, it is always fun. Those international guys are always a good source of entertainment and honestly some great stories too. You got these... Uh, All right, do tell. You got these like <laughs> Colombian uh, Lancero captains, you know, that are out here doing... We're teaching them squad patrols and then next thing you know, you turn around and this guy's just like, oh, you know, sorry, I've, I've done this same exact uh, ambush against uh, FARC rebels in, you know, the mountains of Colombia. And you're just like, okay, uh, okay. Wow. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. You can take over and teach the class. <laughs> or we had a uh, special operations uh, guy from Ghana. Also yeah. kind of similar thing. Oh yeah. You know, we've got rebels running around out there in the brush. We uh, ambush those guys all the time. St- similar tactics to this. And you're like, wow. Yeah. Just listen to their stories and then their experience. Like you said, it just, Pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever taken some of that information and maybe even changed uh, or brought it to the attention of RTB to talk about how, you know, in other words, I always wonder about, we've, we've, we've definitely evolved at Ranger School um, over the years and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if you went through 30, 40 years ago, it's, it's probably very similar, but there are some nuances that have changed because back then it was probably, um, I think, if I remember correctly, it was more suited, probably more post-Vietnam. Right. And right. and we were in a Cold War era, and so it wasn't necessarily applicable, you know, and then now it's evolved. So do you guys, how frequently is that kind of changed? And I don't know if you guys um, know that information, but. I would, I would say that the POI remains relatively the same. Uh, I would say even over the last, obviously, I'd only, I went to Ranger School just a few years ago, but I would say that uh, it has been pretty uh it's just been the same the last probably 20 30 years Mm -hmm. and the reason why i think is because it really is just the fundamentals of infantry tactics and uh the just the very very baseline doctrine um and like you said with uh the other countries um i think those other countries have actually molded their uh infantry tactics off of ours Mm -hmm. Uh, especially like the colombian lancero school was stood up uh based off of ranger school um, and they teach similar squad. I've read tactics. about that. Yeah. And then you have these, uh, Thai, uh, Rangers or mm. Ghana's, um, special operations guys that are trained by typically our green berets or whoever that may be. And those guys that are teaching them similar tactics to, uh, what we are learning, you know, your squad column, fire team wedge kind of stuff and setting up a, a squad ambush and conducting a recon with certain techniques. So it all in a sense kind of mirrors, uh, United States Army Infantry Doctrine. Yeah. Do you guys get um, 
speaking of SF and everything, do you guys get a lot of, uh, or some SF coming through here? And um, Every class. Really? Okay. Every I'd... class, like a lot of, uh, I know like teams, um, it makes them, they made it mandatory for a lot of them to come through here. Not all of them, but there's some that actually come, made come it. through this, come through, through, come through our tech. Really? Yep. I believe seventh group. It, typically, I think it kind of depends on their sergeant major at the time. Yeah. Um, pushing for that. But I know seventh group usually sends um, most, if not all of their guys to our tech. So does a uh, third group. Mm -hmm. um, I think first group also sends quite a few guys uh, here through our tech. So, and those guys definitely are always very successful here in our tech. They're obviously very, uh, professional and knowledgeable guys and they go on to ranger school and and uh typically do well theirs yeah too, so wow that's uh i mean you know when you're walking in the door and you're going to ranger school i think a lot of people and that really sums it up may not realize that you're coming from all walks of life with all mm -hmm. ranks with all mm -hmm. skills and mm -hmm. everything else but then right next to you could be somebody who just came out of high school who just, right. you know what I mean? And just came out of basic training and, and, and it really is about um, working together. Like you mentioned earlier about teamwork and, you know, molding together in difficult times to understand the importance of what the mission is and the objective and to figure out ways to drive on and to accomplish the task. And yeah. it, you know, it, it, that to me is like, you're really cool you know, that you're taking it from all those different aspects. Like you said, you're not like putting international people with international people or guard people with the guard people. This, yeah, you're getting all jumbled up. You don't know who you're going to go to combat with. And no. so this makes more sense that you're going to go into a situation where you don't know the strengths and weaknesses of the people, but you're going to find out real quick. Yeah, you find out. Yeah, and so how you adapt to that and then you, you move forward and stuff, um, that, that's what the, the kind of the course is all about, you know, and, and putting in those stressful situations to do that. All right, so let's take it from the very beginning. Um, an individual arrives here, and um, they're going to be going through the program and everything. What can they expect? And maybe even more so before we do that, how Train should up, they maybe? be prepared to come here, right. you know? So definitely prepared-wise, they need to start rucking, they need to work on their push-ups, their sit-ups, and then maybe start getting into looking at like some of those ranger tasks, like uh, Sergeant Wolfsburg was talking about, your ambush, your recon, maybe looking at like some of the weapon systems, just so you have that base baseline knowledge, because we're going to teach you a lot of it when you get here. Um, but just to be, so you're not here, and then you're like shocked that you don't know completely anything, because maybe, you know, you went to OSIT and all that, uh, many years ago and now you're just an M day soldier and you really haven't done any of these things in a couple of years. And now you're coming here and you're going from, like you said, zero to 90 really fast. So you need to get yourself back up on there. Cause you're going to be doing, was it like three to four days of land nav that we do? Mm -hmm. And then you have mm -hmm. your RPA, then you have your RPFT. So it's, it's gone, it's physically demanding. So you need to be prepared for that coming to this course. People are going to ask how many miles should I ruck? You know, what should I be in focusing on time? Right. Yeah. There's, there's so many different aspects of it. There's like, I don't think there's like a one set, like that's what people like don't get all, all the time. Cause they're like, Oh, like what'd you do to train them? How I train is completely different from how you train. Yeah. You need to yeah. figure that out. Um, for me, I'm not really a runner, so I need to run more, but I can do a lot of push ups and I can do rucking well. But then you have Sergeant Wolfsburg here who can run like once a week and still run pretty good. So, I mean, it's, it's, everybody's different. You just need to figure it out how you, how well you perform and what yeah. you need to work on. That's a great point because I can remember even training, um, at one point with a person that was from Guam who was probably about, I don't know, he might've been all of five, two, 
Mm-hmm. And dude was built like you would. I mean, his thighs were like tree trunks yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he struggled doing um, he, <laughs> the setups and stuff because, you know, his core. And, and so he would like really struggle there. Uh, and, and although he would do well, it would kill him on the run because he used so much of his thigh muscles right? yeah. to help him. And All so, of his hip flexors and everything. Yeah. And, and so, like you said, everybody's different mm-hmm. and trying to make that preparation and give, I think people are looking for the book. What's the, what, what should I focus on? Right. I, I would personally, I would say absolutely one of the big things is going to be rucking. Um, but that being said, a lot of people overtrain prior to mm-hmm. something like ranger school you can or get hurt. selection, yeah. uh, whatever selection they might be going to is they're overtraining. Uh, they're throwing 70, 80 pounds in their rucksack and wanting to do, you know, 12 miles four times a week or something like that. And that's really just going to start to break you off. doesn't really matter who you are. Um, so I'd say that a big thing is uh, a reasonable weight, probably 40 pounds or so. And when I personally was training up to go to our attack, I was rucking twice a week. I think I was doing like an eight miler and then a, uh, I believe like a 10 miler. Uh, so I'd ruck twice a week with about 40 pounds and at the in same Mississippi time, at this time frame or Washington, this was actually in Washington state. So you had different elevation too going against you. Well, I was, uh, I'm from actually near the coast. So it was relatively low elevation, but the temperature was, was, you know, in the, when different. I was training up, it was probably mm-hmm. in like the forties and fifties in Washington. And then I came down here and it was a bit of a shocker. <laughs> right. But mm-hmm. so like I was saying, like the rucking is very important. Um, but it's also just as important in my opinion to not break yourself off prior to even getting to the school. Cause we'll have guys show up here and within two or three days, they're identified as medical drops because they have some kind of a uh, knee issue, stress, or fracture, stress fracture, hip problem. Mm. And they themselves realized at that time that they really just overtrained prior to coming, you know, and I, I admire the motivation and the drive, but it's just so important not to just kill yourself getting ready. Um, and then it's like I said, I was, I was rucking several times a week. And then I was also doing a lot of body weight exercises in the gym, maintaining muscle mass, but also not bulking up to an insane, you know, some kind of monster. That's also, you know, there's no reason to come to ranger school when, you know, being my height at six foot and being 220 or 230 pounds, you know, you want to be at a good reasonable weight, uh, that's going to, uh, let you last through the three or maybe four months of ranger school, but you don't want to be so heavy that you're trying to do a five mile run and then realizing in 90 degree heat with 90% humidity you here in Georgia breathe. that you can't even breathe, <laughs> you can't run at all. Yeah. So, so there's all, it's all, it's all about the balances, you know, um, and there are a lot of good ruck plans out there or, or mm-hmm. selection-based, ruck-based selection, I should say, uh, training yeah. plans out there. Um, well, there, there's this, I think, too, misunderstanding from some that when they are questioning about the, the physicality and, and what I should do to train for it, they have this vision in their mind of what a physical specimen might look like that's getting ready to go through the training or has gone through the training. And I think that's a little misleading as well. They, we're not talking about this bodybuilding kind of dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you could be 125 pounds, 130 pounds, but as long as you can carry the weight yeah. and you can do what you've got to do, then mm-hmm. yeah, you, I, you may just be equally as successful as the guy next to you or maybe yeah. even better, like you said, than the guy that's 220 built like a linebacker, but yet he's struggling. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, I don't care what you look like as long as you carry the weight and you can still operate. Yeah. It is amazing sometimes looking at the guys that are successful. You know, you look at a guy here at our tech and you look at him and you're like, man, this guy's, 
you know, skinny little 18 year old, 110 year old, pounds, yeah, <laughs> sopping wet right out of the CWSA. He's 120 pounds, but sometimes those are the guys that have that internal drive and motivation to go on and be successful. So you can't, you know, yeah, always judge a book by its cover. As yeah, I, as it I, sounds. I was just one of these dudes that just couldn't gain weight as much as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, then mm-hmm. some people would eat, you know, half a sandwich and gain 20 pounds, and it was frustrating. But I would see more guys at that time frame that looked like me or maybe a little bit heavier, you know, another 30 pounds or something like that would, would be very successful going through the schools. Um, and, and, but my vision was very different, you know, mm-hmm. what I, what I thought right. was like this the, uh, cartoon. Yes. Yeah. That's how, Superman that's exactly what I thought. Mind almost, you know, like, Oh, you know, this is what you need to be. This is what you need to look like, but that's really not the case. Yeah. That's a, that's a good catch. So, all right. So we got the pre element of it, of what you should focus on. And as far as diet and anything like that, is there anything that, um, you know, drink a lot of water, obviously. And get, I think like know. the big thing is like a lot of the guys, they don't cut out caffeine. They drink like a lot of like oh. pre-workouts and stuff before they come. Caffeine so could the, be even your dipping. energy. Drinks. Yeah. yeah. So like, when they get here and then all they're drinking is water or Sarasport. Tobacco too. Yeah. Tobacco too. You, they don't cut that out. So then they start getting like headaches or they're like constantly tired all the time. So like one thing I suggest that everybody like you need to cut that out like well in advance because you're not getting it while you're here and then you're going right to Ranger School and you're not getting it. So you need to be able to operate without that pre-workout, that caffeine, that nicotine, and that that I think that's like an important aspect because that's going to really affect you physically wise, especially going into that first PT test. Some people have questioned whether or not the physicality and you know the physical um, regimen that you get within OSIT or you know, one station unit training or basic training for some people who may be going that route in AIT is really going to be. <clears throat> helpful you could go really into shape and you know, i've heard people say yeah but if i'm in really good shape i've heard that at basic it may not be that challenging so therefore i may get you know drop drop down a level and then you know if i came over to our attack then i'm not i'm not ready mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. type of thing but it sounds too though that you've not really necessarily seen that because you do see a lot of guys go straight in from basic training, no sit type of situation and come right over uh, after airborne. Mm-hmm. So the big thing is with the RTLI program, they actually conduct PT with them every day. Oh, so they okay. actually, so they actually difference. do runs. They do weightlifting with them. So a lot of those OSIT kids that are like, Oh, I, maybe I, not, I might not be ready. Well, they're going to do the runs here. They're going to do PT for a whole month. For a whole month. So that you're going to be, you're not going to lose anything. You're going to be okay. either better or you're going to be at that, that same level that you were at when you were um, leaving OSIT. And then if you're coming from just active duty or just National Guard, then you should be lifting and running mm. every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so you arrive here. What what can I expect? And and you don't have to – maybe you guys can't divulge all the information, but kind of give us an idea. Of, uh, no, uh, the first day is nothing really crazy. It's gonna it, That's going to be like our in-processing day. Yeah. Um, so we're really going to go through like the paperwork with everybody, make sure that they have all their stuff. Um, what's good about RTAC and the Warrior Training Center is we don't want to send anybody away because of paperwork um, or drop anybody. So a lot of times we'll be like, hey, man, pull off the side, contact your state, contact whoever, get in contact with them and get that paperwork sent to us. We can help you out. Or if you can't get it until tomorrow, like we'll hold on to you and then we'll, we'll help you out. Because um, I've been to a lot of schools that they're just like, oh, you don't have paperwork. See you later, dude. Like, oh, get wow. out of here. Yeah. So that's one thing I like that we really helped us individual soldier out. And then the first day is just going to be getting all the gear issued to you, um, getting the breakdown, 
and really getting started with the actual Artec process. And you're housed right here within this compound yep. area. Everything's going to be with, down. everything's right here within these brown fenced. Except for like the land navigation where we conduct the PT because then we actually go yeah. over to like fourth. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they do the, all the in-processing and then the very next morning is the uh, Ranger uh, physical assessment. So we'll grade them on the classic you know, 49 push-ups. 59 sit-ups, and at that point, we do a two-and-a-half-mile run to just assess uh, their running capability. Um, and that right there already starts to uh, show the ability or the level of the class, the physical ability. And surprisingly enough, unfortunately, some guys are already dropping off in that two-and-a-half-mile run. Um, yeah, which is shocking to me because, I, like you had said earlier, I see so many units now that are doing like a pre-pre-ranger because they want to mm -hmm. make sure if they're sending somebody that they're selecting the best candidates to go through the program, mm -hmm. and yet they arrive here, and they can't even do two and a half miles. Yeah, yeah. It is, that is something that has always kind of shocked me. Yeah. Um, I would say that's both a failure in the sense on the unit, his company, as well as the individual himself to prepare. And granted, there are cases where guys, you know, just came back from JRTC and suddenly they turned around and told they're going to RTAC in a week. Um, but the vast majority of the time, it uh, is just a failure on the soldier's part too. I mean, everybody should be able like to said, run you, two and a half come miles. Here, you come here with a commander's memo that states that you can do that 49 push-ups, 59 sit-ups, and then that, that five-mile run. embarrassing. So when... Yeah, <laughs> you, you can't yeah. pass a two and a half mile, but you have a, your commander sitting here saying that you can pass a five mile. And then yeah, I think that's a failure on a couple individuals parts. Two and a half and, and how much time? It's 20 minutes. 20 minutes. So it's an eight minute mile pace. Okay. Nothing, oh, eight? Uh, yeah. Nothing crazy. Um, so there, so that first morning is that uh, RPA and uh, we do typically lose a couple of guys on that. Um, and then from there, we move into pretty quickly going into training and talking through the 20 boards, which are the, uh, the Ranger 20 boards, which anybody can Google, look up online. And that's just really a, a diagram of the uh, movement formations, uh, react to contact, squat attack, battle drills, um, all of that stuff. And then we start very quickly teaching all of that over the next several days. So we're teaching all of those battle drills and then giving them practical exercises in the afternoons where an RI goes out, we go outside the classroom and um, take a squat out here at the WTC and we walk through step by step how to conduct, you know, your formation order of movement in a squat calm fire team wedge and how to conduct uh, react to indirect fire battle drill, so on and so forth. So hmm. we break it down on a very, very low level. So that kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier with people coming from different backgrounds, whether it's uh, a 92 Yankee supply guy in the National Guard or a guy who's an 18 Bravo uh, with 15 years of, of uh, experience and multiple deployments, we break it down on that lowest level for every single one of these battle drills so that every single person should hopefully uh, be able to understand the concepts. And even if it's brand new information for some people, we hit on everything so many times over the, the tw uh, two weeks that we have them that by the end, everybody should be able to uh, understand the basics of squat tactics. What gets most people then, you know, along that path? Is it um, they just mentally check out, you know, or is it physical? Here in RTAC, like yeah, what, RTAC. what fails the most people? Yeah. It's going to be the physical part and then the land navigation as well. Yeah. So the, the RPFT, 
which is in the second half of the course. So, like I said, the, the RPA is the the first day. Just a just a uh, test. That's just, that's just, an just assessing them. Yep. The only way they're going to fail is if they fail to run, and then we're like, all right, man, we can't really even work with you. If a guy fails push-ups or sit-ups, um, we hold on to them for another week and then give them another shot. Um, but I would say, yeah, the, the big fail events are going to be the RPFT and then land navigation. Uh, land navigation is, is tough for a lot of guys, unfortunately. And land nav here at Fort Benning is not super easy. It is, you know, typically thicker vegetation with washouts and all kinds of gnarly stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just a lot of guys and a lot of units that just don't do land nav enough. You know, they don't get out in the woods with their compass and a protractor and a map and, yeah. and walk around. Everybody's the with a GPS these days. Yeah. So when it comes to just a protractor and a compass, can't do it. Yeah, that's that's so mm-hmm. interesting. I mean, even back in the day, um, land nav was not a strength of every individual. You know, right. it just uh, it was it was hard for I think people to understand first off all the different contours and things that you've got to consider and what you're and then put them in a mm-hmm. space where you say, mm-hmm. All right, here's a map. Tell me right where you are now. And by looking around, you can assess that quickly. Yeah. And especially if you're in the woods, you've still got to make some kind of identifiable markers and everything to kind of know that. Um, and then understanding as you're walking that you're going to drift left, you know, or exactly. whatever. Yeah. Exactly. And, and account for all of that. And then you should have a rope maybe to tie knots or, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. that you can, there are different techniques. I, I, I fully believe um, and can see that, that's not something that's honed in on a lot in yeah. commands these days. It's and it is unfortunate, too, because if you think to future conflicts, right? I mean, everybody now relies so heavily on their vehicle or their Garmin GPS that they have on their wrist. Um, and they just take that capability for granted. When if you look to, you know, it's kind of off topic almost in a sense. But if you look to like Russian, what they're focusing on is these jamming capabilities magnetic um right bombs or i forget what they yeah. call them or whatever yeah they pop and they basically just shut everything down right so if you're going into a potential near peer conflict or even sometimes doing training east in eastern europe mm-hmm. right you, you need to be able to turn off that gps and as a squad leader or potentially a platoon leader be able to navigate with your guys over five ten clicks without any kind of gps capabilities all you got is your map and and your compass and protractor. Um, and people just don't really train on that enough. Mm-hmm. So that's where us old guys actually have a benefit. We weren't <laughs> right. there when all the, <laughs> yeah. no garments back then. Huh? Yeah. No and I garments. mean, and, and especially, you know, when I remember going through my first initial, um, non-commissioned officers course, it was at Fort Polk, Louisiana, which like you were talking heavy mm-hmm. vegetation, Ooh, you know, yeah, swamp and everything. Yeah, I don't like that place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like that place either, by the way, uh, spent two years there, but you know, when I went through that course and stuff, I can say that that was a really beneficial thing. And I can understand why they use that facility mm-hmm. and that location for a lot of guys going to Vietnam to get them ready oh, yeah. because there was a lot of similarities mm-hmm. in terms of vegetation and, and stuff that they had to get used mm-hmm. to. But that's what you do want to do. So if you're listening to this, um, you know, get that compass, get that map, you know, contour a map and get those protractors and understand how to use those things, how those, um, you know, the different types of um uh, gosh, I, I can't even remember all the like you know this, what difference from a saddle, from a hilltop, from mm-hmm. a you know all right. the major terrain features and yeah, the miners. Yeah. Yeah. Understand all of those aspects to it, and then place yourself in very uncomfortable situations. Even if you have somebody go take it, used to be back in the day we'd have ammo boxes that were numbered, and some mm-hmm. were actually um, out there that meant to be in case you got thrown off course, and you come back and you write it down. You'd say I had one, six, four, and three, and you go, no, nope, that's wrong. 
you know, <laughs> yep. because six was not one of those that were within, you know, the range, you're yeah. right, uh, right, you know, your right limit. It was outside the right limit and you, right. you drifted way off course, you know, type of thing. Yeah. And that is something that then, you know, a guy might say, well, you know, my company is just, uh, never doing land nav and I just don't have that opportunity. Um, and it is, I understand, especially for an M day guy that's only drilling for three days a month, that can be tough to get that time in. But if you are serious about coming to RTAC and going to ranger school and being successful, then that might be eventually on you as an individual then to request from your leadership uh, a map of a local training area and get out there on your own, coordinate it, obviously make sure that it's uh, good to go. But you are going to have to have that uh, drive to then go out and get a map and make sure that you're trying to do at least some land nav so that you're familiar with, hey, this is how I'm going to walk through the woods. This is what my pace count is like in thicker vegetation or walking uphill Mm -hmm. um, so that you're not coming here and just some guys really do go out there and they just get completely turned around and lost. And yeah, they, they, some guys some, don't even know how to plot a point. I mean, you got some, there's some funny, funny stories coming out of, out of the uh, Charlie Land Nav course out there. <laughs> guys that uh, looking at their map and I'm like, all right, you know, first thing you want to do, man, is orient your map to the north, you know, and then the guy looks at me quizzically and he's like, well, uh, Sergeant, wherever my map is pointing, that it, that already is north. <laughs> Dude, wrong. No, uh, no. no. It doesn't, doesn't quite work like that. You know, take out your compass. First things first, take out the compass. Yeah. You know, and so guys really do just have no clue uh, how to just do very simple things like plot an eight-digit grid and, and navigate through the woods 800 meters. Um, so that can be tough. And, I mean, we can, we can train that. We do uh, take the time over three or four days to work on that a lot. Yeah give guys the opportunity to do pace counts in the woods and do a drift course that allows them to learn about their own personal drift left or right. Um, do a practice course before they even get out to the test day. Um, but if you come in here completely clueless, obviously your, your chances of being successful are, are a lot lower than yeah, a guy lower. that has put in the time to look at a map and talk with his team leader, squad leader about land nav prior to coming. So, hmm. Well, I mean, like, I think it's uh, the long walk, you know, when you, when you talk about like even Delta guys, you know, hear about that and want to go into it, but not mistaken through the, the course and selection at one point, you may uh, get approached by an instructor that just asks you, where do you, where do you think you're at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that's happened to me numerous times, especially at Ranger school. I do it here to guys too. And cause it, it always helps you. And I always talk them through it. Cause like I said, this is an assessment course. I'm not trying to get him. I'll be like, Hey man, where are you at? Uh, I'm like, look around. What do you see? You see, you got a draw over there. You got, you got a river over there. Like you're really, trying to help him out. Yeah. I'm like trying to help him <laughs> out. Like, Oh, like I'm like right here. Okay. Now give me a grid to that where you think you are and yeah. like really trying to help them. Cause at ranger school, that's actually a task that you get graded on because can you lead the patrol, but can you accurately lead the patrol and know where you are at all times? Cause then you got to give that grid and you got to be in within a certain amount of meters to get a go for that task. Okay. So is it six, eight, 10, 12? What do you, how many digits are you guys looking for them to know? I usually do like a six digit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Within a hundred meters. Within a hundred meters. Okay. Yeah. Um, good to know, because I mean, some guys, you know, you, you don't have to be really, really close, No. Uh, but yeah. just understand a hundred meters is, is big. Mm-hmm. You should be able to kind of figure that out. Yeah. Um, all right. So what are the things that they can, you mentioned about the, like, I think they can even get the Ranger handbook online. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The Ranger yeah. handbook's online. Amazon for probably yeah. 10 bucks. Okay. So yeah. So pick that thing up. 
most yeah, definitely most read of, that. Most of the materials that we teach off of are readily available online, whether it's Amazon or, you know, Reddit there's even boards, YouTube videos YouTube of videos. a lot of this stuff. Um, so yeah, I would say definitely if a guy's uh, wanting to come get the Ranger handbook and start looking that over, um, go online and you can just Google Ranger school RTTs, the Ranger training task, which is those weapons and radios and claymores. That's all readily available on the uh, RTP website. Open source. Open yeah, source. Open source. Yeah. Same thing with the packing list. So there's no secrets there. It's not like you're going to get dropped from the packing list because you didn't pack the right things. That's all online. You can you can look at that. Um, even like I said, the 20 boards, I'm not sure if those are actively on RTB's website, but I remember coming when I came to Ranger School, looking that up and finding some Reddit board where there was all kinds of stuff, you know, people's mm -hmm. stories and tips and tricks and that kind of stuff. So there really are no secrets. I mean, Ranger School has been around for, you know, since the long 50s time. now. Yeah. So yeah. there are all the information's out there, especially with the internet. I mean, everything's out there. And like Flora said, we got the, uh, the Ranger, I think it's Ranger Pro app. Yeah, the Ranger Professional app that uh, there's, a, guys there's an app. Yeah, there's yeah. a Ranger Professional app that a bunch of guys made that's actually a really good app app it has the instructors actually talk through all the different classes they actually talk through all the different rtts give you information about like what each phase is going to be like it's actually hmm. it's a pretty good app are, is these are these veterans or are these active duty these were guys actually a few years ago that put it together i think they were fourth fifth and sixth uh, ris probably about four or five yeah. years ago and i think they do update those uh, videos from time to time as well so um so those are pretty pretty recent and they'll talk through all of those 20 boards. They'll talk through the RTTs and demonstrate it. So I think that's maybe a five or six dollar app yeah, on it's like the, $5. the app store or whatever. It just so. blows me away of what you can get your hands on of what mm -hmm. you just described mm -hmm. right there. Cause I mean, again, you take it back to the guys who went through when, you know, there was a desert phase. There were no handbooks or yeah, no you information. Know what you probably couldn't get a hold of a ranger handbook ahead of time. Yeah, probably you didn't not, know no. what to expect. There wasn't any information available other than whatever your command could tell you at that point. And maybe you could find a couple guys within your unit right. that's gone through the course that could give you a couple heads up. But he's probably about eight or ten years into right. his career from yeah. that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there, what you're basically saying is that there There really isn't an excuse when you get here of knowing what you should do, how well you should be prepared, what's expected mm -hmm. of you when you arrive. It's available in a damn app and in, you know, online and everything else. Absolutely. And this isn't uh, this isn't CAG selection. There, yeah. are, there are no real secrets. Yeah, there are so. no real secrets. So yeah, learn the Ranger Creed. <laughs> That's an important one. That's a, a, so many guys come here and we ask them what the Ranger Creed is and you don't want to have to do uh, extra push-ups and uh, <laughs> probably learn that Ranger Creed. <laughs> what? How long has uh, Artec been around? Since, um, gosh, that's a great question. I think since the uh, late '90s, early yeah, 2000s. It's, okay, it's been almost 20 years now, I believe. Yeah, really, it's, it's okay. getting close. Yeah, in the so, same location. Yeah, originally, um, uh, Mr. Tom Sider, who's the deputy commander here at the WTC, he originally as an E7 stood up Artec. Uh, like I said, about 20-ish years ago. And originally he was over at 4th RTB. Uh, so prior to having RTAC be a thing, National Guardsmen had like a 4%, 5% success rate at Ranger School because you had these guys coming from National Guard units that had absolutely no idea what they were getting into, mm -hmm. you know, obviously prior to the internet and all that open source stuff. And so it was a really, really poor success rate. And then uh, Mr. Sider stood up RTAC originally, I think teaching almost out of the back of a pickup truck with limited resources, him mm -hmm. and like one other guy. And uh, 
very quickly. Obviously, that two weeks of train-up was making guys much more successful. And I believe 15-ish years ago, they got the uh, the grounds here at the WTC and started building. And first was the uh, uh, Alpha Company with RTAC. And then um, now we have a success rate from 4 or 5% up to almost 60%. So, And then obviously then after uh, ACO with RTAC, there was... Bravo Company with Aerosolt and Pathfinder, and you got Charlie Company with the, uh, the pre-master gunner, Mike, yeah, Mike Golf stuff for Abrams and Bradleys. So yeah, we hope to come back uh, to actually go through each of the different companies yeah. and what you guys do here because it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned some of those courses, mm-hmm. and, and those guys are also all absolute master fitness. Yeah, yeah, great guys that are all uh, very passionate about what they teach, whether it's uh, Pathfinder operations or Bradley master gunner stuff. So. Uh, a lot of really, really good people from around the entire National Guard here at the Warrior Training Center. Yeah, very, very cool. So um, let's talk about the success rates. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a controversy out there as to what those mm-hmm. things are. And there are, I think, other um, pre-Ranger courses, especially, uh, I'll point out one, um, the one that's over there at Reg- Regiment, Ranger yep. Regiment, yes, here, yep, here, right here on this same installation. And so... How how successful have you guys been in um, making sure that people that go through RTAC, they've been successful in the Ranger School? So mm-hmm. what, what's, what's your success rate? So overall, our total success rate last year um, was 57, a little over 57, almost 58%, which mm-hmm. was up there with the highest in the whole Army. So let's talk about comparison. How does that compare? Uh, let's see here. We, uh, we brought oh, some, Wolf brought, some Wolf brought his notes. Yeah, yeah. I love the pie charts and everything. Exactly. Here. You know, this is uh this is courcy <laughs> of our company commander. He's like, make sure you got hey, the data. To that's right. You got right. You got This is pride right here. Right. So somebody listens to 57% and they may go, Oh my God, that doesn't sound too good. That's an F, you know? Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, let's see here. I don't know if we have the data on other pre rangers necessarily. Ah, you didn't have comparative analysis. That's always good to know. Uh, here we go. Here oh, we go. If oh, you, uh, here you go. flip to, this little uh, page right here, we got FY20, uh, we were at 57% uh, graduation rate from our TAC grads. Uh, according to the data presented here, uh, 75th PRC in FY20 was at 54%. Oh. So we were Ouch. just a couple percentages above them. So, oh. So a little, maybe a point of contention here. Um, no, no, no. I just, hopefully I don't run into any of those guys tonight <laughs> down in Columbus or something. <laughs> these guys are going to gang up on me. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, well, why I brought that up is because uh, I was sharing off air that I posted, uh, it was probably about two months ago when I was first talking to Don and to, to Ricky and stuff about coming and, and doing a show with you guys. Um, I decided to throw a post out there just to kind of gauge interest to see as far as our followers, how many people are actually even familiar with Warrior mm-hmm. Training Center. I was shocked at the number of people that not only um, really got engaged in the, in, the, in the post and stuff, especially on Instagram, but those that really started commenting about um, the professionalism that's at this this facility, um, the you know the caliber of NCOs, the training, um, very 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 positive. But then of course there were a few that wanted to chime in and go because I had put a comment about have one of the I think I may have even said the best, mm-hmm. um, you know percentages in terms of you know preparedness and everything. And and there was several that wanted to make sure that that was 
quoted correctly. Right, right. You know, <laughs> no, that's not actually true. According to, and then the stats would then start coming out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is, I'm assuming that you guys do look at that and you do want to, you know, try to compete. I mean, everybody, yeah, yeah, everybody wants right. to be the national champion. <laughs> so right? like the big thing I like to, when people say like, oh, 57%, yeah. that's pretty good. But when you really break it down, right? So that's 57%, but we're not hand selecting people. These aren't all active guys. These aren't all 11 Bravos. We get Air Force. We get National Guard 88 Mikes, which are truck drivers. We get supply. We get just uh, brand new privates. We get active duty guys. So, and our percentage, that's why I give it to like our instructors, how people were saying how professional and how they really take dignity in their work. And it really shows because we're taking guys that have absolutely no experience. We're not hand selecting them. They're getting sent to us from all walks of life. And we're still having the highest percentage rate. Now, the reason why you emphasize that multiple times is for anybody that's not aware, if you go to regiment from regiment to ranger school, um, most likely you've gone through pre-RASP, you've gone through RASP, mm-hmm. and you've at least spent some time within a regiment under those types of Maybe physical conditions. Deployment with them and stuff. Right, yeah. right. And before you go through a pre-ranger there and then go to ranger school. Mm-hmm. So there has been a long indoctrination and um, assimilation into an organization that prides itself at being at a higher level. And I'm not saying this in, in, in you know, trying to build this whole thing up and being yeah. negative, but it's just to make it's the state of fact, an obvious fact when you're looking at um, the data, and that is that you are taking an individual that could very well be, you have no idea where they've come from, their walk of life. It could have even been from the civilian side of things. Mm-hmm. And, and this is their first opportunity to get this strenuous outside of their own pre-pre-ranger that they went through. And you've got to mold them, and yet the percentage rate indicates that you're at least with or above or around, however you want to look at it, depending upon the time of day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll just say you're within the same hot spot mm. as those individuals who this is their daily life. Yeah, It speaks volumes of the program. It's just, you know, I mean... Go ahead and, and tip your hat to what you guys are doing, yeah. regardless of it. And I think the the success of RTAC too is is in the consistency too. Obviously, we have very high caliber instructors, uh, really good guys. Um, leadership has always been really good. We had uh, our former first sergeant was a a guy from he spent a lot of his time in three seven five, so he was a uh, a ranger through and through, and he was um, one of the ones that helped lead us towards a higher success rate. Same thing with our, uh, our former company commander that uh, just left a couple months ago. Uh, so we have really good leadership and then we just have a, a recipe that kind of just has been working for a number of years. Um, and that's just to really focus on the physical assessment and then to focus on squad tactics for the majority of, well, for the entirety of our FTX. We don't even really touch on platoon operations that are going to be covered in mountains in Florida. We really just focus on getting guys to be successful in rap week at assessment phase and then to be successful in Darby going through that squad stuff. And we know that if guys are successful in squad operations, then that success is pretty quickly going to translate over to their ability to learn and understand platoon operations. So I know that other pre-rangers, um, try to also teach the platoon side of things, platoon raid, platoon ambush and whatnot. But we just, we don't even get into that stuff. We don't even get into those weeds. Um, it's going to be all taught later down in, you know, in the mountains in Florida. 
So, well, let's let's go through the percentages here, just so people can understand. We, your washout rate here at Artec is mm-hmm. what? Uh, let's see here. Well, we got, I believe, graduation rate uh, of Artec itself is usually around. Uh, Got that so this here. uh our last class the graduation rate was uh 54%. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so that's that's a great, you know, it demonstrates, right? You got 54% of the people that actually come through your program make it on to go to ranger school. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. ranger school, the highest washout actually occurs within the first week. Yep. Yeah. Of the ranger school, right? And what is that percentage then the cut down to so typically? 83% of the guys that pass RTAC make it through RAP week. So that, that is an important factor, and I, I just want to emphasize that. So this goes from you take the 57%, so you're not just doing 100%. Anybody that walks in the door gets an opportunity, hey, you guys did great. Um, you know, we did the best that we could. Mm-hmm. We hope you're prepared. Good luck kind of thing. You're mm-hmm. actually weeding them out. So even though you didn't get to select them before they got here, you're definitely – helping select them and narrow it down to the few before they get there. Yep. Then your success rate is in the 80% of those individuals yep. that you passed on. And there could be a number of reasons that go into that. Now I'm assuming in that 80 something percent, there are people that, um, that may have physically, you know, uh, they got injured. Yeah. That goes all into, uh, medicals, uh, LOMs. Yeah, um, that it's completely broken down in all different categories. For so you can't necessarily say that's a knock rate because you could actually have somebody. Uh, I'm assuming, and you may calculate this differently. Of that, let's say a remaining 15 percent that got washed out for physical reasons or what medical, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that may end up coming back two months, six months later. Um, do you guys then track that still uh, later? So, so uh, what we do, especially with like the National Guard guys. Um, if they're like privates or if they ask, uh, a lot of the guys that go and fail rap week, sometimes they just try to come back and maybe we'll let them shadow a couple days or they'll shadow like those major events and then they'll go back again. Um, and you and, count them and in then, your numbers. And they'll, they'll be on our numbers again. But if they go back to their unit because it's something more serious and let's say it's not for Yeah, maybe six like months. a major injury or something. Do they have well, to come back through RTAC again? So the RTAC cert is good for six months. Okay, so let's say it's five months. I'll just use that as an example then. And they rotate back into it. Are you guys still tracking that that individual? No, we don't have the numbers on that one. So that's important to note because, again, your percentage, if you did, might actually get closer to, let's say, 99% mm-hmm. or, you know, 100% mm-hmm. because you're – the reason why I say that is, again, if you're an active duty member and you go back through it, more than likely if you fail um, because you're of medical reasons, you're going to go back and they're still going to count you and their percentage – that second time, mm-hmm. you're still part of that percentage, you, and you may actually increase that percentage that much more because mm-hmm. you're a little bit more ready than than the average type of thing. I just wanted to make that note of that because if you're not tracking that aspect, if you're not trying to then um, pad your numbers in a way to make it look as though, well, yeah, everybody that comes through here, we end up, you know, putting a marker on, we track mm-hmm. them in their career to see if they ever come back through, then we're 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 factoring yep. that into. You're not. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are in our, uh, like I said, our, our previous company commander who was uh, Captain Sturgis, he's a very, very numbers-based guy, very analytical, and he did a, an excellent job over the last couple of years of tracking all of this stuff and making sure that this data was was very accurate and and keeping us also 
uh, informed as instructors like you know here's what you guys are doing here's how it's being successful maybe here's areas that based on the numbers the factual data you know we need to work on our land nav class or we really need to work on um, grading their push-ups or whatever the case might be right so it is really good to have these numbers and being able to actually see exactly what we're doing and and how it's translating into actual guys being successful and getting their ranger tab at the end of the day so what um who is who, who seems to have the best pre-ranger type of program then uh based on the statistics that you guys keep in regards to all prcs across yeah. the army yeah I mean, I, I really would honestly argue that uh, RTAC is one of, if not the best, uh, obviously right up there, like we already said, CERT is also all, uh, an incredible pre-ranger. They have very, very high caliber guys uh, over at regiment. We have, we're lucky to have some of those guys that used to be in regiment currently as instructors here at RTAC now uh, from both 275 and 375. So, uh, so obviously CERT is, is way up there. Um, I know the 82nd has done a great okay. job in the last couple of years. I know that they started sending some of their guys down here to uh, actually get certified through RITEP because that was one of the issues I think that was identified by the Army as a whole is that or was that PRCs weren't doing a great job of really preparing guys for Ranger School. You know, it was, it was kind of the classic two weeks of this is a smoke sesh. I've got a tab and you don't and I'm going to smoke you and yeah. maybe we'll talk about uh, op orders for five minutes, but uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I don't really know op orders that well myself. So <laughs> whatever, who cares? That's officer stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I think the army as a whole has really identified that, that weakness and has been trying to get all PRCs on board with, Hey, like, we need to streamline things, make sure that everybody who's an instructor at a PRC, whether it's the, you know, light fighter school at 10th mountain or uh, lightning Academy at 25th, all of those, PRC cadre need to have an understanding of squad tactics, uh, but also uh, squad op order, um, RTTs be on the same page with so that these guys that are going through are really getting prepared in the best way possible and not just, yeah, you're going to do two weeks of push-ups and get smoked every day and whoever's the toughest is get, gets to get uh, go to ranger school. So right? basically you're in the top one or two, just about, or one of three, well, yeah, I mean, based on statistics, yeah, I would say definitely in the top, the top two, us and CERT, um, and then I would say closely followed by the 82nd, and I know that the uh, 10th Mountain and 25th has done a good job over the last couple of years of also improving their programs as well. Yeah, Robert, yeah. you were going to say something? Yeah, to piggyback off of that, um, so uh, ARTB actually has some talking points, and so all the PRCs meet together, and they kind of like just go over like talking points, like some of them on here. Um, like he was pretty much already covering like make time for land navigation um, for CWSA. Make sure you're sending personnel that can actually swim. So these are just talking points mm -hmm. that ARTB will put out to like the different PRCs. Um, and then one thing that they did was our course map and the 82nd um, Airborne Division. They actually sent that out to the Army wide. Like, hey, these are the course maps for like the top PRCs. Um, maybe you should start mimicking or making your programs around their program. So just that's just what I'm just going into. Like our program is just, it works. Um, it, like how we said, the 82nd and CERT there obviously works too. So they're just putting out our course map to like these other active units, showing them like, hey, this is what they do every day, and it's clearly working. Yeah. So, all right, I'm sitting out there. I'm listening to this. 
especially if I'm active duty, because I love the, you know, that you guys are really doing it even for active duty personnel and in several units, obviously you have a report. It sounds like with third group, um, third special forces group, seven special forces group and others where you automatically get them feeding the pipeline. But if I wanted to come here and I said, Hey, listen, you know, I'm not in regiment where I'm automatically going to have to go through their program, but I'm in the conventional army can I go into ATARs and automatically select you guys and say, hey, this is this is where I want to go? Unfortunately, is, no. Okay. Yeah. How does that work? So it all depends, like, if if the active component has, like, their own PRC. Um, so, for instance, we just got, since we were talking about it earlier, we had guys from 10th Mountain, but we're stationed at Fort Polk, which they don't have a PRC. So They don't send them up the... They didn't send them up there, because I guess because it was closer to here yeah. for the time being and with COVID and everything going on. So they send them to our... Uh, pre-ranger course instead okay so I, I guess it just goes if they have it available to them because a lot of the guys that we get usually don't have like a, a pre-ranger so course. there are a number of divisions that don't have their own prc such as 2id out in washington uh first id um doesn't have their own first armored in texas uh first calf so those units typically send their guys here to our tech but then guys that are in the 101st they're going to go to the prc in campbell guys in the 82nd they will go you know per the uh i, I believe the guidance from their division uh leadership they're going to go to the 82nd's prc and so you can't then say hey sir ma'am can i can i go to our tech i don't at the warrior no, training yeah center i don't think so. i don't think that'd work out well but i'm telling them that they didn't want to go to their own, their own PRC. Yeah, you, well you know i mean if you're uh, yeah i i can see part of that but then i can also see that hey you know if this success rate i mean mm -hmm. again the data doesn't lie at the success rate means that, you know, if you can override current uh, policy and allow me to go outside right. of that, I might have a higher success rate. And I certainly want to go through the best program. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, also, I think, I think that, it comes down to if a guy's a E4 on the line at uh, Campbell in the 101st. I mean, realistically, the chances of him hearing about RTAC or knowing about the well, He's going to listen to this podcast. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, now, after this podcast, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Prior to the podcast, You're prior right. to the podcast, I mean, he really probably wouldn't even know about the Warrior Training Center and that opportunity. So yeah. if his if his squad leader comes down one day and says, "Hey, you know, you're going to uh, pre ranger and you're going to go to ranger school because you're a PT stud or whatever," then he's like, "All right, cool, no, you want to here?" Yeah, yeah. There's not really a whole probably a whole lot of questions asked. Um, and then unfortunately too, I mean, there's there. I always talk to a lot of guys, um, especially guys in I Bullock and whatnot, that if they don't have to come to pre ranger, they don't have to come to RTAC, then in their mind, there are a lot of guys that don't want to have to go to a pre-ranger because they just view it as, you know, it's just two weeks of extra time spent um, away from family or away from my cell phone and inconvenience and I get smoked or whatever. And I think um, a lot of them are worried about the injury aspect too. You and know? injury, absolutely. Yeah. Injury mm -hmm. aspect of, you know, geez, you know, I, hear, I already got a billet to me to go to be, uh, go to ranger school and then I go to pre-ranger and right. I get hurt, right. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, and that is a, that is a valid concern, but I would just highly encourage guys to really think about the opportunities that a pre-ranger, especially one like our tech is going to give them. Like we are going to teach you everything that they teach you at ranger school, but we will also do it in more detail. We'll give you the opportunity to fail. We'll also give you more time for uh, asking questions. And um, you know, there, there's going to be a lot less stress than there is at ranger school. If you're just, you know, walking in off the street almost and just going to ranger school it's not a, uh, a perfect learning environment. You know, those guys really are there to assess and test you um, versus here we are much more of the mindset that we're going to 
train you up, help you out, mentor you, and, and get you to that point, uh, get you in that mindset, that knowledge level prior to sending you over there. If somebody washes out of Vartech, is there a, how do you guys do that? Is it just do not, is it one of these things you code it, um, do not send back or yet can always come back or what is that kind of protocol? We'll always take people back. So if they, if they don't make it through here, they come back next class or come back whenever you can. Or unless if they're some like kind of major integrity violation. But. Yeah. Unless it's a, like a major uh, violation, but if they're like um, E4 blow, the one of those guys just got to OSIT then we'll, a lot of times we'll give them that um, ability to go back to RTLI spend like the two weeks there. Maybe we have between classes, they'll get some more training and then they'll come back through our tag again. So we got to give like those guys like another, you ever have a guy that you look out there and go, Jesus, is your fourth time. You're going to get this done. Uh, there was that, what was that? Like four classes ago, there was a dude that was like, yeah, he spent, uh, like, he sp- like, like spent probably like six months six in pre-ranger. Months just, like, just in pre-ranger. I'm like, oh, buddy. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Well, like, you'll be done with your first contract by the time you get done out of ranger school. Yeah. <laughs> finally finished graduating ranger school and then ETS. You get back to your unit and they're like, who are you, dude? How long have you been in? I've oh, been well, in the- for like three years. I've never seen you. Well, you, you hear these stories about, you know, individuals that may go through even ranger school and either recycle or they go back and stuff. And one of the, maybe they even start back at phase one and, and they may be there and it takes them six months, nine months or plus in order to get their tab. God mm-hmm. bless them. Yeah. I mean, if you're really, yeah, if you're really wanting to put yourself through all of that, don't knock them that it took them that long to do it. Give them props for the fact that they stayed and they, they went through that grueling course for that long. Some people have an extended stay. It happens. Yeah. They they call it the (laughs) Ranger savings plan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You save a lot of money. (laughs) Not really, not really getting an opportunity to spend a lot. Yeah. There there definitely are people out there like that and uh, give them props because I definitely could not have done that. Yeah. Spent that much time. Yeah, I was in and out as fast as possible. Yeah, you talked about, uh, you know, best ranger competition. Uh, we used to come down here every year and set up a tent and everything for that uh, to watch you guys, especially on day two, mm-hmm. um, really kind of day one because it's that Saturday and stuff where you find out who really cuts the mustard. And, mm-hmm. you know, that night before, usually by Friday night and Saturday morning rolls around, you know who's going to be in the top five, top ten mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And because um, a lot of teams end up falling out of that first phase. Um, but then you see those guys who, you know, they're in a holdover, you know, oh, and they're nice. getting a chance to get their first cheeseburger or whatever <laughs> while they're waiting and such. But it's like, dude, you can, you can eat all you want, you know, but, you know, you're going to go back and go through this again. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but I see those guys, you know, because the, the mm-hmm. RTB brings them up there to do tent setup. Details, details, sandbags, yeah. painting right. fences. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you can certainly spot them and know uh, yeah. who's who. who. Who's who. Yeah. So how many times have you gone through uh, Best Ranger then? Uh, I did it once in 2018. Um, okay. It was a really, really fun opportunity. It was great yeah. uh, competition. I'd like to do it again at some point in the future. Um, Wasn't that the year, correct me if I'm wrong, was it in 18 or 19 the guard did win? Uh, That would have been, I think, in 2017. Okay. 2016 or 2017. I think it was 2017. Yeah. And it was right around the window and stuff, uh, which, you know, that was major. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome for the guard to uh, have that. And uh, I think the the same year they might have also won Best Sniper competition. Yeah. So. Wasn't there a Marsoc officer that came in second place? Wasn't it? In Best Ranger this year. Oh, gosh. It was either Marsoc or Force Recon. I can't remember. This year, I think this year, 2021, was won by uh, a couple of first lieutenants from 75th. Right, it was from 75th. And then uh, one of them actually had to be, happened to be from, I think, um, the MI Battalion. Really? So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I heard those guys were absolute studs. So it's probably yeah. a good thing that I didn't uh, compete this yeah. year. They would have <laughs> kicked my ass. Yeah. Yeah, those guys crushed it. I heard. Is there any so. way you got inside news as to who's signing up? Right? Hey, you know, because I mean, that was one of the things there for a while, wasn't it? That a lot of the teams were kept coming back. And so it's like, ah, oh, geez. Forget yeah, it, man. I'm I think it's kind of a good thing they uh, recently enacted. They said right. that only three total competitions. Uh, you know, you can only compete three times. I because, get it. Yeah, I, mean, I do understand it. I mean, there were guys that were starting to But then again, to you want to compete for, against the best, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I can see both perspectives. Um, it is good to kind of get new faces in there because you do tend to have, or they did tend to have the, the same guys coming back five or six plus times. And then they almost turned into career uh, best Ranger competition competitors. Yeah. But um, I understand uh, some guys might not love that rule, but... Um, I think three times is, that's a good number, you know? Yeah. But it's not like you can, or were you able to just like, um, that's all you did 365 in preparation for best so, ranger. Uh, at the time in 2018, the guard brought myself and seven other guys, total of, uh, four two man teams. Uh, they brought us on orders here at the Warrior training center in January. And then the competition was April. And so we had about three and a half or almost four months to then specifically just focus on training up physically and going to the range and uh, i mean that was helpful but there are units that that's basically yeah, the all they, yeah yeah there are units that, that do that and there's also some units unfortunately that are you know a month out from the competition they're uh grabbing a couple of ranger qualified guys and you're like all right you're going to the competition mm -hmm. and you still got to be a squad leader yep. uh, still got to do your squad leader duties but by the way you're also going to go compete at brc so uh, there are you know some guys that really get helped out by their units and then other guys unfortunately you're kind of get a little bit screwed over just kind of depends on the unit and how much emphasis they put on yeah. ranger school and then also obviously best ranger competition so how much longer do you have here uh i personally have a few more months here um, okay so i've done two years and uh towards the end of september is uh when i'm hopefully going to be moving on to uh i'd like to go to ocs so okay. that's my next uh the next goal for myself robert uh so i've October, I'll hit two years, and then I have one more year here. Yeah, so the reason why I ask is somebody might listen to this podcast and go, hey, am I going to see Sergeant Wolf there? Am I going to recognize? They're, you're going to be like a star now, having been on the show, right? They're going to be looking <laughs> yeah. for your autograph, and they're going to think like know. they can just go ahead and bro talk and, and the whole bit, right? <laughs> I can get a, they can get Sergeant Floor's autograph. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I'm I, I, I got your autograph. Come outside. <laughs> get a water source, Get too. a water source, too. <laughs> Is there anything that we want to talk about that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, I mean, I guess uh, for like all the National Guard or even active guys that are getting ready, maybe they're coming to the end of their career, like we were talking about, like opportunities. Because um, the Warrior Training Center doesn't just have RTAC. Like we started going into it. There's Master Fitness Trainer here. There's Air Assault, Pathfinder. Um, so if you're looking for like an opportunity, like a lot of people, because um, where you can always use more instructors doesn't hurt um but like you said a lot of people don't know about these opportunities so i mean if you're interested you can contact the warrior training center and come be an ri here come be a black hat uh over at aerosol or work at master fitness so is uh is it true that the pathfinder might be going away within um, the army i've heard rumor i know our pathfinder staying so i don't know about the whole uh the whole as an army i mean so I, I, I know the uh 507th is i believe at the end of this fiscal year doing away with their pathfinder school but the warrior training center through ngb has gotten the funding and the approval to then carry on pathfinder for the foreseeable future i don't know if that's going to be 
two or three years or more. But uh, the Warrior Training Center Pathfinder School is actually going to become the Army proponent for Pathfinder. Oh, so, wow. So it's kind of cool for, yeah. for yeah. them. Yeah. And the uh, Warrior Training Center is actually within the next few months also looking at standing up a Jumpmaster mobile training team. So that Jumpmaster, those Jumpmaster black hats would then go, go around, to all the travel different around the Army guard, yeah. and do uh, jump for both guard and active duty and conduct a jump master school. So guys aren't just having to come to Benning or just stay at the 82nds uh, jump master school. So what I think is really, um, you know, something that maybe a lot of folks may not know about warrior training center too, is that you guys are the ones that go out and evaluate the POI and, and whether or not they're following the letter of the course out and, you know, whatever state may be conducting their own air assault or, or something mm -hmm. of that nature. So, I mean, you guys are the, the area of oversight and right. for that kind of responsibility yeah. for the mm -hmm. guard. Yeah. So the, the air assault school here, actually, I think they only conduct about three courses at home station. The rest of their courses around uh, throughout the year, which is eight or nine courses, are all conducted throughout the uh, different throughout states. The states. And even sometimes like they even go to Germany yeah. or Kuwait to conduct an air assault school. Mm. So those guys are very, very often on the road. Same thing with Pathfinder, Master Fitness as well. Uh, in Alpha Company, those guys are currently, I think, in... Uh, They're in Florida right now. Right now. Yeah. Uh, conducting uh, MFT for the Florida Guard. So... The, the, the Warrior Training Center is really focused on getting those uh, training teams out there to uh, increase the uh, overall competency of the National Guard and, and the Army as a whole. Yeah. Now, you guys don't do like pre-SFAS or anything like that? They have, I think, in the past talked about that, um, but I think they've uh, kind of held off on that, and I think that's kind of still the responsibility of either 19th or 20th group to conduct their own SFREs and uh, assess guys whether or not they want to send them to as fast okay so anything else that uh I, I i personally would just say that um ranger school is is uh not something that's out of reach for anybody uh, especially for you know a guy that may be uh, e4 or e5 in the national guard regardless of mos whether you're an 11 bravo or um, an 88 mike or whatever you might be you always have the opportunity to come to our tack and uh, potentially go on to ranger school and be successful and it's not some foreign secret, you know, it's not some crazy stuff. It, like we said earlier, it's, it's all stuff that's readily available online. Um, you can look all that stuff up. Hopefully you have a Ranger qualified guy or two in your company or your battalion that you can talk to about some of this stuff. Um, but as long as you are in, uh, you know, top physical shape, uh, you can come down here. We'll teach you everything that you need to know. And, and you really can be successful at mm -hmm. Ranger School. Yeah. Uh, it's not something that's going to be completely foreign. You're just, you know, going to come here and, and we're going to fail you. you know, that's not what we're, that's not what we're looking to do. We are looking to uh, help guys be successful at fourth, fifth and sixth and, and get their Ranger tabs so they can go back to their units and, and continue to train the rest of the force. And you, even if you come down and you don't make it, you, you're still going to get that knowledge and experience through majority of the course. And then you can take that back and you can always come back again and try again. You're not like barred from coming back to the course mm -hmm. if you fail. 
Well, I'd just like to say a big thanks to Warriors Training Center for allowing me the opportunity to come in here in Metro's Military to do the podcast and uh, with you guys. Thank you both for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I'm sure this was a hell of a lot better than filling the sandbags. Um, yeah, the uh, area beautification. Area beautification. Ho- hopefully that detail will be over by the time this podcast so. is done. <laughs> I don't want to moan launch that. <laughs> but again, thank you guys for sharing your experiences and especially well, helping you. those people who might be listening, you know, and preparing themselves for coming to the training or for that matter, I think the the knowledge that you gave is really valuable, no matter which program you end up going through in pre-Ranger prior to getting to the, the Ranger School, as well as maybe even some of the knowledge you guys dropped about what to expect from Ranger School itself. You know, so I think it uh, is a really great episode. It helps expose what's going on in this compound and, and how great of a job you guys are doing. Um, I wish you, you know, much success in both of your careers. Um, hope you stay uh, in contact and everything. And again, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.